perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hi, everyone. Good evening. I'm here, the one who's waving at you. I'm Danny Bait-Orr from Southern California, and we have Jessica, who works Hello. with me. Hi, Jessica. Thanks hi. for putting this together. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to talk about the topic today of the lessons I've learned uh, over the past almost 20 years and approximately or give or take 5,000 transactions. And I will start by introducing myself fully so you know where I'm coming from and what my experience is, and then we'll dive into the details. Uh, just uh, maybe uh, mm, you were saying something? Okay. Um, a few kind of just house cleaning uh, uh, items. Uh, best would be to write your questions in the in the chat or ask them at the end, and I will probably get to the questions when I'm done. Um, so I will try to speed up and you know be respectful for your time on one end, um, and then I'll take questions at the end. Also, um, I did not put it on my topic, but I thought maybe uh, some somewhat relevant to a lot of people nowadays is. Kind of talk a little bit my interpretation of what we're going through right now, real estate wise, you know, economic, economy wise. So I will be, I will gladly share my thoughts, uh, my interpretation after I'm done with the presentation. So for me, this is a little bit of, a, of an add on, of course, if there is a request for that. Um, you may me, you may see some uh, bullet points that I'm just skipping through because I want to kind of jump through and not take too much uh, time or focus on the on the um, on the main items. Uh, I want to disappoint everyone. Uh, I'll start with that. I want to disappoint. There is no books for sale, courses, boot camps, you know, uh, properties for sale at any point of this presentation. So if someone is waiting for a sales pitch, you are in. Uh, you are. Um, you should be expecting some disappointment. I hope you're you're not too mad about that. And with that said, let me start by sharing my screen. Okay. Can you see, Jessica, can you see my screen or did I did it? Um, no. No, okay, not a problem. There's something that was a bit, a bit confusing here. Okay, it should be okay now. How about now? Okay, doing good. very good, all right. So good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining me. It's been a very long time. Uh, me, Danny Bait-Orr, um, based in Southern California. It's probably been a long time since I've done a webinar uh, to, the, to, to our groups of, uh, of uh, uh, to different groups around the country. We have uh, many people on the, on the webinar from different parts of the country, maybe from out of state as well, could be, but I would say mostly in different parts of the US. Um, I want to start by introducing myself, so that will give you a little bit of understanding where I'm coming from and what gives me the opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. the, if you can mute yourself, that'll be terrific, much appreciated. Um, gives me the experience to share the knowledge, the information that I've gained over almost 20 years of investing. Actually, investing is, is actually 20 years exactly, um, and probably around 5,000 transactions. When I say 5,000 give or take transactions, that has been transactions that I've done with our clients, our investors, other people that we've helped them invest in real estate. Those are not personally my 5,000 transactions, although some of them definitely are. So I purchased my first rental property 
in the in, in 2002 when I was still a young engineer after uh, three years of my uh, finishing my uh, special forces uh, um, service in the Israeli army. That was back in 2002. I bought a, you know a single family home in the suburb of Phoenix for with a clear purpose to hold it as a rental. In 2004, oh, sorry, between 2002 and 2004, I've done very two small kind of syndicate investments. So by 2004, I had very little experience with investing, just getting my kind of getting started. A young guy, young engineer, works for an Israeli high-tech company, you know, making good income, uh, paying a lot of taxes too, so it's not all net, and just asking myself, where am I heading? Because I was very not sure uh, I liked what I saw at the time. What I saw at the time as a young engineer is what I've seen the generation before me, my parents, my uncles, my parents' friends, older cousins, all going through pretty much the same path of getting, you know, getting a degree, going to school, finding a job, and working hard. Uh, a lot of hardworking people in my family, but barely have anything to show you know, 15, 20 years after they've been working, you know, uh, you know, in their jobs, having very little to show for all those years. So that didn't, that didn't add up. On my end, I could not agree with this, uh, um, let's call it lifestyle or path or avenue for myself. At the time, I had no idea. I was very, um, I like to say, I when I got started, what led me to investing, I felt that I'm um, investment or real life, you know, economies, um, economics very illiterate, so I had to teach myself about mortgages and you know and, and retirement and different you know benefits just to get better understanding what the hell all those terminologies and and you know in different you know financial tools or vehicles that I had no I knew them by name but didn't really know what it means and that kind of started the path of uh, bettering myself, improving myself, putting myself on a better path for wealth where I very quickly dropped the, the fantasy of chasing the get rich quick kind of, a, kind of a, a method and was focusing on, you know, getting rich slow, right? That's kind of was my focus. In 2004, we moved, my wife and I moved to the, to the US and I started, or I started focusing more on investing in real estate myself and working with others, helping them invest in real estate. Since 2004 until now, so that's 18 years uh, or so of investment activities, I have been uh, operating or helping investors to buy in more than 35 US metros. We've done around 5,000 properties through those over those uh, the period of those years, just about 100 flips or so, give or take, um, mostly focusing on single family homes, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes. I've done other stuff as well, but the majority, 99 plus percent of my activity was the smaller residential type of properties. I had the privilege, the pleasure, the uh, you know doubtfully pleasure to go through um, one major real estate crisis you know, of 2008. That taught me a lot about real estate much more than I ever thought I will, uh, I will actually need to know. So that actually was not fun, far from it, but I learned a lot during those, uh, those uh, crisis years. I've been through at least two 
operational crises when things were really going bad in the business. Um, that taught me a lot as well. Over those 18 plus years, I've held well over 12,000 one-on-one meetings with investors. Some of them worked with, came and worked with us buying in rental properties. You know, some did not. I had the, the pleasure, the privilege of working with over 70 realtors, many property managers, many general contractors. And when I say worked with, that doesn't mean one-off. So anytime I had any work with an agent or property management that we did maybe less than 10 transactions, I don't even remember that. So for me, when I say 70, we've probably worked with any of those 70 has probably done at least 10 transactions, if not more. So that gives you a lot of insights to how property managers operate, realtors operate, you know, mindset, thinking, challenges, obstacles of those people. And that taught me a lot about how to work with them and help them be better at what they do anyway. I've uh, lectured and had uh, held webinars well over 600 times. Uh, just gave uh, two lectures in Israel when I was visiting about a month ago. And um, actually it's been probably, I haven't done a webinar for two, two and a half, three years or so. So I'm glad, I'm glad to, be, to be back to doing webinars. Um, and I have a, a very open channel, you know, YouTube channel and a, and a podcast with many hundreds of videos and many, I would say, few hundreds of, um, you know, podcast uh, episodes. So you are most welcome. I'll put link at the end uh, to jump on those uh, um, uh, resources. My style is sharing, talking, you know, uh, being a bit direct, hopefully not offending anyone. I not, I'm not very good with the sales pitch, right? I try to improve myself, but I'm not very good with that. Um, my company, Simply Do It, uh, we do a primarily, I look at it, we do two things. We work on investments and we help investors. We work on, we focus on long-term investments or in long-term rentals in different US metros. And like I said earlier, focusing on the smaller type of, you know, real estate uh, uh, res residential rentals in quality areas. We like nice, good quality properties. When we work with investors, primarily what we call the guided real estate investing, we handhold our clients, helping them anywhere from an idea all the way to making decisions, putting offers, going, you know, overcoming obstacles. There are always obstacles and continue to support our clients after they complete the purchase with many situations, issues, challenges, problems, you know, simple and complex that will come up during the during the rental period, which could be many, many, many years, right? It could be five years, it could be 15 years or even more. Um, and we're also doing, you know, hoping, uh, working with um, uh, clients of ours to help them get unstuck and do some consulting. I just want to show you a little bit houses that we actually that actually were purchased through us. You're seeing a fourplex on the left. Uh, I think that's Kansas City. I'm almost certain either St. Louis or Kansas City. The on the right top, the white ones are townhomes in Chattanooga. On the left, a single family home in in DFW in the Metro of DFW. On the right, another single family home in uh, Metro St. Louis. Uh, the top two are single family homes in Birmingham, Alabama. The one on the right, the bottom right, I don't remember, but obviously you can tell it's a single family home. And the only one on this, you know, two slides that we didn't actually buy is the duplex on the left in the metro, in the metro of Austin that the builder got nervous 
about was uh, quite you know, a few years ago. And I think we came and we wanted to buy multiple. And at some point, I think he got feared for whatever reason. Super nice guy. But he just uh, at some point he said, you know, that's not for me. Not a good fit. I'm still not sure exactly what happened. But we at least tried. So let's talk about the main lessons lear lesson learned. If I jump over a topic, uh, don't worry about it. It's just because I'm kind of um, speeding up a little bit. The first thing that I've learned, maybe the first thing that I've learned, I get that asked every once in a while, every once in a while, especially when I get interviewed in other people's podcasts. What is the main lesson from the crash of 2002? And I think my main lesson is avoid negative cash flow, right? Avoid negative cash flow. And by the way, when I mean avoid negative cash flow, I mean it in the sense that we are we realistically analyze properties okay it's very important realistically analyze properties now it may be obvious for a lot of people oh of course negative cash flow who wants to invest in a negative cash flow well let me tell you something during 2004 5 6 7 the attitude towards investing was let's buy as many properties as we can because everything appreciates quite a bit so if anyone here remember those years before the crash there was a rapid appreciation over a period of four or five years in or so and we were just buying as much as we can because the mindset the attitude the, the financial attitude was i'm buying a property that will appreciate 15 20 25 30 thousand dollars a year right <clears throat> i want to buy as many as as those as i can i should put as little money down as possible sometimes as little as zero money down, 5% down, 10% down. So I would say 10 was very normal, 10% down. And anytime we did that with a, such a low down payment and high leverage, by design, the property, the, the rent would not cover all the expenses and mortgage, right? So it was by design a negative cash flow. Now, when you have one property in your portfolio and it's negative cash flow of $200 a month, yeah, you know, it's okay. We could probably handle that, maybe two. But when you were like me with multiple properties, negative cash flow, thousands of dollars a month in negative cash flow, that is not a problem when you make, you know, good, you know, your income is good. You can offset the, uh, those negative cash flow from your income. It's actually some tax benefits. So it's not that bad at all. The problem becomes when you don't have that amount of money coming in and all of a sudden you're finding that it's super hard to cover those thousands of dollars a month if negative cash flow. So one of the lessons I learned and I try to teach you know, the people that I work with is try to avoid it. If it means buying less number of properties, that's okay. Why? Because you're risking, you know, you're making, every time you have to supplement from your own pocket to a, into a rental property, you know, on an ongoing basis, I'm not talking about here and there, but an ongoing basis, but you know, every month, that actually means you're feeding that property. The property is dependent on you. When you have a property or a portfolio is depending on your income and your income suffers, guess what happened? All your portfolio is at risk, right? So we don't want to get to that situation. So that's why over after the, or the main lesson, the main lesson after the crash was, I'd rather any one of my clients buy less number of houses, put 20, normally even 25% down, sometimes even more, and be a little bit more conservative about it. So that's the, the lesson number one. Lesson number two, over the years, I've seen a lot of investors come to me and they want to hold a philosophical discussion, which I get it, right? Sometimes is, 
what the market is doing. Is it too late to buy? Is it too early to buy? Am I, am I you know, I, I get some, sometimes people, hey, I'm 45, I feel I'm already, I started, I'm already late. Late to what, right? But that's, I get, I, I see that. Or there's always a question, is this a good market or a bad market? Um, I'm, I'm concerned about weather, I'm concerned about, uh, uh, you know, uh, the migration. It's all very good points, right? I'm not gonna say this is bad points or, or you should not have that discussion. But what I've learned over the years is at some point, the philosophical discussion needs to end and a practical discussion or practical execution needs to take place, assuming you wanna invest and not just talk about investing. Some people wanna talk about investing, I get it. But if you're like me or like us or like our clients, you probably are looking not to talk and talk and talk, but actually pull the trigger and do something about it. And why am I saying practical? I'm taking it one notch down to the practical level. And I'm saying, we had the discussion about you know, the weather, the climate, the global warming, the economy, whatever, right? The, the markets, et cetera. Now let's look at one or two specific properties, right? This is not the general US Metro. Now we have two properties that we're looking at, maybe one, maybe three. And let's have an educated discussion about this one or those two. For example, is, the, is that local area good or bad? What's going on in the local economy? How is the rent? How's the vacancy? What am I seeing? Or how's, how many houses are sitting? How long has been this house has been sitting on the market? All of those things are very, very, very specific because we can have two houses in the same community, similar floor plans, similar pricing, you know, could get rented for a similar rent. Guess what? They still may behave completely differently because one seller wants this and another seller wants that. And, and this is stage and this is not stage, all of those things, right? So we have to take it down and say, okay, no more philosophical. Let's look at this one or those two and make a decision specifically on those properties in order to execute, right? I have many examples that I've seen even in the past few weeks where two properties that if I would consider them maybe a month ago or two months ago, uh, I'm not sure I'm gonna be so getting so excited about them, but because there's a specific situation with those two properties that we have in, D in, in, in DFW, we can actually with a motivated seller, all of a sudden those two nice deals are becoming super nice, right? So all of a sudden, it's no longer philosophical, it's very pragmatic, very uh, practical investing, you know, uh, um, discussion. So at, one at some point, stop with the philosophical, be very specific, and there's no better way to discuss or to make a decision when we're having a discussion on a specific property, right? Because we can now talk about, is it in a good climate or is it in migration or is it uh, wintery or whatever, that, that decision process that we go through is now very tangible. It's very grounded by a property, by an area, etc. cetera. Um, I wanna talk about agents for a second. Many people have the thoughts or the preset notion that agents are superheroes. I'm gonna break it, you know, I'm, I hope I'm not gonna ruin it for everybody, they're not. Good agents, I'm not talking about horrible agents. Good agents are not, even good agents are not, you know, superhero. And most of them will know how to do their job, but they can perform better if you tell them what to do or what do you want. So for example, one person or one investor can get in touch with, a, with an agent and say, I'm looking for a property. 
And the agent will probably go around, running around and find something. A smarter investor will say, hello, agent. I'm looking to invest and this is what's important to me or this is what I'm looking to accomplish. And we'll provide some guidelines. It doesn't have to be specific, but general guidelines helping the agent focus on what's relevant for that individual, right? For you specifically. And if you provide the agent that information, you are gonna help the agent make it better, work better and more uh, um, relevant to specifically to you. So if you're thinking about, or if you're working, already working with an agent, or if you're thinking about it, try to come up with what you are looking for, what you are searching, give them criteria, you know, give them a, a, a direction, instruction, maybe a little bit vague, maybe more specific. It's all okay. It's better than just, you know, sometimes I get people who ask me, can I get more info? I gave you an email, tons of info. What else do you want, right? So get that more specific. The better, the more specific you will be, the better, the, the more you will get out of the agent. So try to do that. It will benefit you. And don't expect the, any agents to fight over your house with multiple agents when they sell it, when, they, when, when, they're, when they're negotiating. They're going to try to do their job to the best of their ability. I've never seen someone who's, you know, sometimes I hear, hear people tell me, I want an agent who is like a, you know, like a special forces, you know, soldier. You know what? That's a fantasy, right? Let's take it a notch down. Be realistic. Help them help you. It's the best advice I can give you. Let's talk about property managers, property managers, right? Everybody loves property managers. Well, let's start by saying that the first thing I want you to, to kind of think about is not all property managers are crooks, okay? Some are, right? But the industry has a reputation of horrible people by definition, by default. Not all property managers are crooks, right? So there are good property managers there, however, I don't think any property manager will win anytime soon the property manager award or the investment award, whatever, wherever it's given, right? Why? Property managers are, in my mind, are a little bit like firefighters. They're always putting a fire down, right? Someone is always complaining, right? Either there's the problem with the property, so the property is complaining about an issue, the tenant is complaining about an issue, the owner is complaining about an issue, and maybe an employee or a subcontractor or something like that is complaining about an issue, right? So they're always in a position that someone is complaining to them and they're always trying to, you know, to, to chase the next, you know, to, to do their best and there's always problems, right? So I have to tell you, that I really don't understand what kind of a person wants to become a property manager. That's my starting point. Now, if we understand that, then I think, first of all, we will lower our expectations. So we don't have, you know, we're not gonna expect, I have, I have clients of mine that I have to really, not just explain to them how it works, explain to them again and again. And it happens at least twice this week. But I had to tell them you're expecting a buy and forget kind of a concept and it doesn't exist, right? So I will tell you that in my vision for my clients in our, in Simply Do It, with our systems and processes, we are really aspiring to create a situation, a scenario, a settings, an ecosystem that it's buy and forget. Buy and forget for me means, here's one of my clients, he comes in, buys the property, and now he just collects the rent, right? That's the ideal. It doesn't exist, right? Just, just to be clear. 
So the next best thing is for me to, to create a setting that the noise level, the friction level is as little as possible. Typically we're talking about miscommunications, we're talking about vacancies, repairs, uh, evictions, that's the friction, that's the noise in the system, right? So if I know and I tell all my, all my, all my clients, there's not gonna be zero noise system. There's always gonna be something. And I'm teaching them what's the right mindset. I think they come around and say, okay, I cannot expect for my property manager to be available to me I don't want to say daily, but even weekly basis, every single week. I'm not talking about weekly here and there or when something's going on. I had a client, I have one client in all my career that he wanted his property manager, my our property manager to meet with him on a, one hour a week, every week, just like that. And the, the property manager called me and says, I can't, I cannot accommodate that. That's just, I don't have time for that. There's not really a need. And eventually he transitioned from that property manager to another one. And the second property manager, also a part of our network, fired him. Why? Because he was super demanding, right? So just to give you my mindset, the general mindset, and we, we work carefully with our clients, teaching them how to, how to supervise or how to manage their portfolio when they start working with us or when they actually start buying. But I will tell you one thing. The best way to really work with property managers is to supervise, not micromanage, right? Supervise, follow up, and even better to be one step ahead of them. For example, remember remember next, next month is uh, the annual walkthrough of the property. I just want to confirm you remember, right? Instead of calling them, you know, a month after and say, hey, what's going on with the walkthrough? Did you do it, right? The second example, I'm kind of looking where they're failing. In the first example, I'm just help, reminding them, helping them succeed. Keep in mind, guys, the property, the property managers are managing your property. They're not the owner. It's in your best interest that the property manager will succeed. It's in your best interest. So if you help your property manager, guess what? They will appreciate you and they will help you succeed. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is what I call boring real estate. Now, I don't know most people that are participating in, in the webinar tonight, and I'm sure there's people who come in uh, are with different experience, doing different things. I just gonna, uh, this whole session is sharing what I have learned over, over the years. And what I've learned and really worked well for me and for all our clients is what I call the boring real estate. And what do I mean by boring real estate? For me, the, most, the more boring the real estate is, the type of the property or the investment, the more sexy I find it. Why is that? So all our clients, without an exception, they, they, live, they invest remotely. Mostly are living up, most of them are up on the West Coast, anywhere from San Diego to, uh, uh, to Seattle. That's most of our clients. And we have clients in... Boston and New York and other parts of the country as well, and Europe. But 100% of them are investing remotely, meaning they're buying in Texas, in Tennessee, in Florida, etc. Now, if I and all my clients are busy people between their job, they, their life, their lifestyle, etc. So most of them do not want to deal with the properties or deal with the ongoing items as little as possible. 
So when you buy a property, that's what it's defined, boring piece of real estate, a nice house in the suburb of Nashville for 250, 300,000 rented to a family with two kids. Guess what? Maybe two dogs with a backyard. For me, you know, middle-class, you know, the renters, upper middle-class, lower middle-class, this for me, just screams boring. Why? And that's proven time and time again. Why? It's because the chances of us having issues with the tenants, with the house, you know, uh, and all those problems, it just drops a lot. It's not eliminates, it just reduces the chances of the friction of the noise. So when you have buying a piece of property that is, that is positioned to have less issues, problems, etc you will have more boring experience. And remember, boring is good, right? Many times when I travel, or almost every time when I travel to Europe and I give a talk there, there are always someone, someone's come to me after and they're saying, Danny, I got to run something by you. All right, tell me what's going on. Do you know a good property manager in, um, you know, uh, I mean, in Cleveland? I say, no, I don't work in Cleveland. I was like, okay. um, I, I bought five houses for about $50,000 each over there. And there's always issues. What do you think will happen? You buy a $50,000 home, you know, in, in a, you know, it's probably a lower end property in a, in a, in a more challenging community or neighborhood, um, older home, smaller home. This is what I'm, I'm call, I call position for more noise more more friction, more problems. It doesn't mean you cannot succeed. Many people do that, there's, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's the opposite of boring. And when you have that settings, and why would you expect, why would you expect to not have problems, right? You bought that type of properties and it's fine, but just do understand it comes with, a, with, a, with an emotional price, with a time price, you know, those things do not just, you know, just not, Hey, I bought a property for fifty thousand and it's rented for eight hundred dollars a month, and I'm cash flowing amazingly. It could happen, right? Absolutely. There's not, there's nothing wrong with the formula, and it could happen. But in most cases, when you buy a fifty thousand dollar home and it's rent for eight hundred dollars or sixty thousand home and it rented for nine hundred dollars, expect more friction, problems, issues, etc. And if you're willing to put the time, effort, attention, energy, etc., then that's fine. And if you're not don't go and think that immediately the property manager is a bad property manager because to begin with, you bought a challenging property. And that is typically what comes out of those properties.